Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Crisis upon crisis, and the president is responding accordingly. The biggest burst of inflation since the 80s. Longer lasting than anticipated. The freedom to vote safely, securely. They would like to have the federal government take over all of state elections. We have secured vaccine supply to vaccinate every child ages 5 through 11. The correct information. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. It is News and Views for a Wednesday. Possible human remains were discovered inside Florida's Mayaakahatchee Creek Environment Park. And uh, the FBI just held a brief press conference about 30 minutes ago. Here is what the FBI said in their statement. Good afternoon. My name is Michael McPherson. I'm the special agent in charge of the FBI Tampa Division. As you're aware, the FBI and the Northport Police Department and our state and local law enforcement partners have been searching the area of the Carlton Reserve for Brian Laundrie, a person of interest in the murder of Gabby Petito. Earlier today, investigators found what appears to be human remains along with personal items such as a backpack and notebook belonging to Brian Laundrie. These items were found in an area that up until recently have been underwater. Our evidence response team is on scene using all available forensic resources to process the area. It's likely the team will be on scene for several days. I know you have a lot of questions, but we don't have all the answers yet. We are working diligently to get those answers for you. We are grateful for the dedication and professionalism of the Northport Police Department, along with our partners from the state and local agencies. Complex investigations such as this cannot be accomplished by one agency alone, but there are just too many agencies to name them all here today. Portions of the Mayakahatchee Creek Environment Park and Carlton Reserve will remain closed to the public until further notice. This is an active and ongoing investigation so we ask the public to maintain distance from any law enforcement personnel, equipment, vehicles, and other related activity for the safety of the public and to protect the integrity of our work. We have no additional comment related to today's activities. Our FBI Denver office is the lead investigative agency and all future inquiries should be directed to them. We appreciate the tremendous support from the public and continue to ask for your assistance in bringing this investigation to close. Thank you. The FBI agent didn't take any questions. That, that, that pretty much was the whole press conference right there. They will figure out whether or not these uh, human remains are Brian Laundry or not. Uh, I would think that would happen within a less than a week. The... Um, Chief medical examiner has been brought in. They've set up a tent. And uh, as you just heard the FBI say, they will be there for some time. So um, is it possible that that is not Brian Laundrie? Sure, it's possible. Your guess is good as mine. We'll know in uh, short order. So the FBI has come out and they came out and said they found no evidence 
that the Capitol riot was in any way the January 6th, I don't even like to call it a riot, the surge on the Capitol where American citizens went into the people's house. The FBI said that there was no evidence that the Capitol riot was coordinated, let alone personally planned or executed by the Trump White House. And yet Liz Cheney has come out today and basically said that President Trump was personally involved in the planning and execution of the January 6th incident. So where she gets this special revelation, nobody knows, but she says she's going to prove it. Wow. Liz, enjoy your last uh, year in office. (laughs) I don't think the people of Wyoming are going to send you back. Just saying. Carolina Journal is reporting a youth risk survey for middle and high school students in the public school system is raising eyebrows for asking students about drug use and sexual activity. Folks, this is happening in your middle schools and your high schools, okay? I mean, this isn't happening in California. This is a North Carolina report. The Youth Risk Behavior Survey, a joint project between the North Carolina Division of Public Instruction and the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, is distributed every odd number year in the spring. The survey was delayed this year due to the pandemic, but data collection is now occurring between September and December. The survey includes questions on non-controversial topics such as nutrition and physical activity, but also touches on more hot-button issues such as gender identity, transgenderism, alcohol, drug use, and whether teens are engaging in heterosexual or gay sexual activity. Many parents are weary of the government voyeurism and surveillance of children, said Dr. Terry Stoops, director of the Center for Effective Education at the John Locke Foundation. Quote, if the youth risk behavior survey results lead to a policy change that mitigated worrisome behaviors among young adults, then families may be more receptive to its administration, Stoop says. But the survey data produces little more than flashly, flashy headlines that purport to reveal the dirty secrets of American youth. And, and, you know, I'd even go beyond that. I mean, when you bring this kind of information up to the students, when you combine that with hormones and peer pressure, uh, it is a, uh, it is a, a cocktail that, you probably don't want to go there. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, you you put your head in the sand and pretend none of this goes on. But in all honesty, why does the public, I mean, heaven forbid we worry about academics, right? <laughs> I mean, heaven forbid we get back to the three R's. And, and what are you going to do with this information? I mean, right now, up in Loudoun County, again, just this last month, it was revealed to us, well, just in the last couple of weeks, revealed to us that this young man dresses up as a transsex, uh, transgender, a biological male, dresses up in a girl's skirt, goes in and re- ra- rapes a ninth grader, is transferred to another school where he does it again. And how is this—and imp- and this is with a school board that wanted to promote this policy— Scott Smith, the dad of the ninth grader, they shut him up, had him arrested, shut him down for, heaven forbid, if he had a chance to testify before the school board and say what he wanted to say, perhaps this transgender policy of open bathrooms and open locker rooms wouldn't have taken place. So 
do you think the uh, 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 the average mom and dad sending their kids to school, do you think they trust the school system to use this information for nothing more than noble purposes? I, I think they've lost their credibility. High school students are asked to report their sexual orientation, whether they've been forced to have sexual intercourse in the prior 12 months, how old they were when they first had sexual intercourse. I mean, you ask these kind of questions, what kind of peer pressure is that on the kids? How many sexual partners they've had during their life? Why do you even go there? The sur- I mean, and, and again, wow, you lamprack, you can't hide your head in the sand. I mean, you're just being a Victorian naive idiot. The survey also queries students on their age when they first had more than a few sips of alcohol and how often they binge drink. I mean, does a middle school kid even know what binge drinking is? How often do they use marijuana and other drugs? You know, what happened to the days when we taught morals? Heaven forbid you can't do that. You can't just come out and say, folks, this is wrong. It's against the law. You don't need to be doing this. You're setting yourself up for disaster. Heaven forbid we actually teach morals. You can't do that, but boy, you can take a survey and ask them anything you want. Guns and racial issues are addressed as well. At one point, the survey asks, during your life, how often have you felt that you were treated badly or unfairly unfairly in school because of your race or ethnicity? Students are asked how often they carry a gun in the past 12 months. Well, you're a minor. (laughs) <laughs> so are, are you going to admit to breaking the law? How long would it take them to get and be ready to fire a loaded gun without a parent or other adult's permission? Why are you asking these questions? So we've got, we've got a, some of the lowest academic statistics in the nation. It's getting better, but we ain't, we're, we're hardly at the top. But this is what we're worried about. In response to an article critical of the survey, Department of Public Instruction Executive Director for the Center of Safer Schools, Karen Fairley, released a statement that reads, in part, quote, we appreciate that some of the questions in the survey may be considered sensitive, overly probing, or not in alignment with everyone's values, perspectives, or beliefs. It is important that schools notify parents in a timely manner allowing parents the ability to determine if they want their children to opt out of participating in the survey. So the parents, were, were, they're, they're really trying to um, encourage biblical values, morals, ethics. If they to have their kids opt out, then how skewed is this information going to be? Only generalized results of the survey are reported, and all responses are kept anonymous. Okay. Yeah, right. Why are you doing it then? What, what, is, what is the purpose? I, I mean, look, they're not going to teach morals, right? I mean, we, that's pretty well established. They're not going to teach morals. They're not going to have any kind of... You can do this, you can't do that. Oh, you can't do that. I mean, if you did that, I mean, you'd be judgmental. No, you can't go there. 
Fox News is reporting University of North Carolina can consider race in admissions, according to one U.S. judge, Loretta Biggs, an Obama appointee. There's no surprise there. Biggs has ruled North Carolina's flagship public university can continue to consider race as a factor in its undergraduate admissions, rebuffing a conservative group's argument that affirmative action disadvantages white and Asian students. In sum, the court concludes that UNC has met its burden in demonstrating that it has a genuine and compelling interest in achieving the educational benefits of diversity, Biggs wrote. Students for Fair Admissions sued UNC in 2014, arguing that using race and ethnicity as a factor in college admissions violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution and the federal I'm sorry, civil rights law. The group contended that UNC had gone too far in using race as a factor in admissions and thus intentionally discriminated against certain of its members on the basis of race, color, or ethnicity. The group's president... Edward Bloom told the Associated Press in an interview yesterday that it would appeal by day's ends to the United States Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit. His group already appealed in a denial in a similar lawsuit against Harvard. Bloom said he hopes both cases get bundled together so the U.S. Supreme Court rules simultaneously on private and public universities. UNC countered in court that its admissions policies their practices are legally and constitutionally permissible and that race-neutral alternatives would not enable it to achieve diversity goals. Of roughly 20,000 undergraduate UNC students this fall, 2021 semester, approximately 56% are white, 30% a- I'm sorry, 13% Asian, 10% Hispanic, 8.5% black, according to the university. So the question is, if you were evaluating as an employer, if you're an employer, and uh, an applicant comes in, you would be breaking the law if you asked anything about their race. You'd be breaking the law. You're not even supposed to know that, right? But yet... At uh, UNC, they're proud of it. This decision makes clear university's holistic administration approach is lawful. An email from uh, Beth Keith, a spokesman for the university, spokesperson for the university. We evaluate each student in a deliberate and thoughtful way, appreciating individual strengths, talents, and contributions to a vibrant campus community where students from all backgrounds can excel and thrive. We evaluate each student in a deliberate and thoughtful way, including their race. Judge Biggs wrote that she applied the U.S. Supreme Court's University of Texas precedent, which establishes schools may consider race and admissions in ways narrowly tailored tailored to promote diversity. Now, by the way, this was um, heard by the Supreme Court uh, the first court was uh, the first case was heard back in 2003, Gratz versus Bollinger. Uh, this was heard by the uh, Center for Individual Rights, and then you had um, that was actually out of Michigan, and then you had the Hopwood versus Texas case. Now these are two other circuits, although they made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. And Biggs is right that you can have narrowly tailored 
admission policies. But it's interesting that these other two cases that made it to the Supreme Court, while there is a narrow policy to allow such discrimination, uh, that's my word, not theirs, in both cases, the Michigan case and the Texas case, both times in a court that was less conservative than it is now, in both times, the University, Mich- University of Michigan, University of Texas, both times they had to pull back in terms of how they discriminated against some students to allow more students to come in. So in other words, the Supreme Court, and again, this is going back to 2004, and uh, well, I don't know when the second, 2003, in, in both cases, the Supreme Court said, no, um, universities, you're, you're ruling with an iron fist as you discriminate against one group to allow another group to come in. My hunch is this will make it up to the Supreme Court, and uh, it'll be interesting. Now, you know, generally speaking, the Supreme Court, when they rule on these kind of things, as they ruled back in 2003, it's usually pretty narrow. They're not going to come out, my, my hunch is, they're not going to come out with a statement just saying, no, you, you can't discriminate at all like this. You've got to strictly look at the, uh, the you know, things like, their ACT grades or their ACT scores, their, their grades, what kind of uh, in, involvement they had in the community, those kind of things. But you're not allowed to look at either gender or race. That's, that's illegal. They're not going to say that. But uh, my hunch is that over at UNC, my hunch is that it's, it's a pretty loosey-goosey way of doing things. And uh, Judge Biggs, who again is an Obama appointee, I'm sure she is happy to carry the water for UNC Chapel Hill. Sorry. Um, our friend, Representative Keith Kidwell, is in the news again today. Today, the North Carolina House gave final approval to the Emergency Powers Accountability Act, that's HB 264, which strengthens and clarifies current emergency management laws to restore checks and balances over the governor. The legislature must address the endless duration of power that has been granted to the governor during a self-declared and boundless state of emergency, said Kidwell. Simply put, there's no unilateral rule in a constitutional republic. The legislation reinstates much-needed checks and balances over the governor's unlimited emergency powers. Majority Leader John Bell said we have now been under the governor's self-declared state of emergency for over 580 days. I mean, how can you possibly call this a state of emergency? When you have every major state university across the state with their stadiums wide open, with tens of thousands of people packed in without any masks, without any real knowledge of whether or not they've been vaccinated or not, how can you still say this is a state of emergency when the numbers are continually going in the right direction? How can you continue to say this is a state of emergency? The bill has been passed by the House by a vote of 66 to 44. It passed the Senate. It is now going to the governor's desk where, yes, he will veto it. We've got to take a time out. Stay with us. More news and views coming up. Love to hear from you. 561-8255. We'll be right back. <laughs> 
This is your Drive at 5 and ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is October the 20th. Today is Information Overload Day. That's every day for Joe, right? <laughs> Come on. I know, Joe. I'm sorry. Uh, ten years ago. It's hard to believe this has been ten years. Muammar Gaddafi was captured and killed by the uh, local rebel militia. Of course, that was after uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, basically fed him to the wolves. Take a look at your weather forecast. Mostly clear and low tonight of 52. Thursday, sunshine, high near 80. Tomorrow night, low around 63 with partly cloudy skies. Friday, there's a chance of showers in the afternoon, 30%. Also, overnight, the high on Friday afternoon will be 78. Overnight, there's a 30% chance of rain. Then Saturday and Sunday look pretty good. Sunshine with high in the mid-70s, low at night around 52. So all in all, pretty good-looking next few days, all the way through the weekend. Town Hall is reporting... North Carolina parents attending a high school football game were stunned by a banner implying a Catholic high school was privileged and populated by rich white families. The banner read, sniff, sniff, you smell that? Dollar sign, privilege, followed by another dollar sign. That is the banner that the cheerleaders from the Butler High School were holding up as their football team ran through the banner before the start of the game. Uh, basically, this Butler High School was uh, playing against Charlotte Catholic High School and uh, basically saying, uh, well, a bunch of uh, white rich kids with privilege. And uh, to say the least, the parents from the Catholic High School were not too happy. And uh, they are now demanding that the Charlotte-Mecklenburg school system uh, say what's going on. Their point being, it's pretty hard to believe that the cheerleaders and the football team did this without any knowledge uh, by the administrators or the teachers, whoever's overseeing that. They had to have known what is going on. But, you know, when it comes to CRT, hey, nothing's out of bounds, right? Note of personal privilege here. I have never really liked rap music. I never really thought of rap music as music. However, <laughs> there's always a first. Um, the refrain, let's go, Brandon. Uh, that is now an ever-present phrase in American politics, uh, much to the chagrin of the Biden butt-kissing commentators. Uh, who's, who's left in the Biden court besides the... Uh, the ultra-progressives and the folks at CNN and MSNBC. It turns out that the inoffensive phrase of let's go Brandon, which is actually covering up. You remember the NASCAR race where they were saying something about Joe Biden (laughs) and the commentators say, oh, they're cheering Brandon. They're cheering Brandon. Let's go Brandon. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, believe it or not, a rap artist by the name of Loza Alexander, has turned the phrase, Let's Go Brandon, into a rap song. Here's just a little taste of it. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. 
but we know what they saying though. You can hear the chant in every post. Don't nobody want this commie, cause we not in China. Everybody hated Trump, and now they out to catch a body. That's what they get for treating us like we in Square Games. Green light, mandate, like he's insane. These times, people waking up to everything. Go Brandon, but we all know what the saying means. So, let's go, Brandon. You know exactly what the source is. Yeah, the source is uh, Loza Alexander. That is, believe it or not, that is the number one hip-hop rap song in the nation right now, according to Apple's iTunes genre charts. Overall, now, that number one in hip-hop and rap, number two overall, all categories, number two. So not only are they cheering Joe Biden at football games, at NASCAR races, and uh, everywhere in between, but uh, now Let's Go Brandon is uh, leading the pack. I mean, he's... You having a good time, Joe? <laughs> he is... Believe it or not, th- this guy, Let's Go Brandon song, is uh, ahead of a lot of other artists that you're very familiar with. So I stand corrected. I could, I could actually say, well, there is one rap song that I like. Let's go, Brandon. <laughs> oh my. I, I mean, st- everybody is sick of Joe. I don't think any, any other president has a song like that <laughs> with that much hate. <laughs> Joe now has his own theme song. Come on, man. Town Hall is reporting the Occupational Health and Safety Administration, OSHA, which falls under the jurisdiction of the Department of Labor, is instructing federal agencies. Are you ready for this? Instructing federal agencies not to record adverse reaction or side effects from the coronavirus vaccine. Earlier this year, Joe Biden mandated the shot for all federal workers and contractors. And now he's trying to make uh, companies, private companies, which he has no right to with 100 employees or more, that they have to have everybody vaccinated. So and, and listen, uh, Ron Johnson, just as last Sunday, I mentioned this earlier in the week, he was on uh, Maria Bar- Bartiroma. And he had mentioned that I think it was uh, over the last 20 years, the deaths from flu vaccines was about 1,600. F- deaths from the COVID vaccine are already 16,000. But OSHA is going against their own rules. Their own rules that they came up with originally is that you were supposed to record any adverse reaction to the COVID vaccine. Now they're saying, "Ah, nah, nah, never mind. So they're not even enforcing their own rules because it helps promote the authoritarianism and aggressive, uh, the aggressive progressive agenda. So, you're, you're not allowed to record it. I mean, they, they know that the numbers are not good. 
So how do they solve it? Eh, we'll just ignore it. We'll just pretend it didn't happen. That way you can't prove it. I mean, Joe Biden is demanding that uh, this happens. Now, remember the pharmaceutical companies have been given immunity that they can't be sued. But now, generally speaking, you can't sue the federal government unless the federal government allows you to. But if an individual working for a private company was vaccinated and something happened to them, yeah, that private company could be could be sued. But they just don't want the bad publicity. They just don't. Want, let's let's pretend it's not. If we if we just shut it down, don't record it, then we can say it never happened. By the way, there's an organization called Job Creators Network. The CEO and president, Alfredo, Alfredo, <laughs> Alfredo Ortez, little slip of the lip there. My producer's laughing out loud. Um, Alfredo Fortes, he's come out and just said, uh, we're getting ready to sue Joe over this uh, vaccine mandate. The, this organization, small businesses, by the way, are considered 500 employees or less. Now, I know most people think of small businesses as being, you know, three or four employees, which that is a small business, but you know, on a worldwide scale, a business with 500 employees or less is considered a small business. So the, this Job Creators Network, there's a bunch of small businesses that make up this organization, and uh, they're saying, "Okay, we're going to sue, we're going to sue Joe." And again, I'm, I understand you got to take it to court, which is so frustrating, because as at like like this organization, the Job Creators Network, they've got to take money out of their pocket to pay for attorneys to sue the federal government. What does the federal government do? They taxpayer pays for it. I mean, wouldn't it be great, and I say this in all seriousness, wouldn't it be great that if somebody like Joe Biden does something that is unconstitutional, which, in other words, is breaking the law, that he comes out with this edict that he has no right to, why shouldn't he be the one that pays for the attorneys to defend his policy? I mean, it's, it's obviously unconstitutional. When the government does this kind of garbage, they, to them, it's, you know, okay, we, we just call it the DOJ, and they come and defend our policies. For them, it's job security. For the, the person that has to sue not to be forced to get the vaccine to reestablish the rule of law in the courts— They've got to pay tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars just to say, wait a minute, we're going to go back and follow the law as it is written. Unbelievable. we got to take another time out. Stay with us. When we get back, is Joe Manchin leaving the Democratic Party? Maybe. We'll, say, we'll talk about it. Stay with us.
o'clock drive. Well, the drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Nick Rolovich. He was the uh, Washington State football coach uh, up to a few days ago when he was fired. He was out at the uh, University of Hawaii. He did so well out there. Uh, Washington enticed him to come there. Um, he was fired along with four assistant coaches because they were unvaccinated. He is now suing the university. Good for you, Nick Rolovich. On Monday, Rolovich and four of his unvaccinated assistants were fired for cause by the university for not adhering to a Washington state mandate that requires state employees to either be vaccinated against COVID or have an approved exemption. Rolovich had applied for a religious exemption from the COVID-19 vaccine. He was denied it in a letter obtained by Rittenberg, Brian Falling, and, uh, an attorney representing uh, the coach, said the determination was unjust and unlawful. The, determin- the termination of the Washington State football coach Nick Rolovich on Monday was unjust and unlawful. It came after Coach Rolovich's request for a religious exemption from the vaccine was denied by the university. The institution also indicated that even if the exemption had been granted, no accommodation would have been made. As a result, Coach Rolovich will be taking legal action against Washington State University and all parties responsible for his I- illegal termination. By the way, you can't sue the federal government unless they agree to be sued, but you can sue state governments. So he might uh, not only sue the uh, university, but the state as well. Town Hall is asking the question, is Joe Manchin going to be leaving the Democrat Party? Now, an update to the story, the postscript of the story is Manchin has denied he is considered leaving the uh, Democratic Party, calling the rumors BS, although he didn't just use the initials. It is um, being reported, though, by a bunch of different media outlets that Joe Manchin is considering leaving the Democratic Party. He wouldn't become a Republican. He'd become an independent. Here's the thing. Joe Manchin is still fairly young. Now, he was just elected, uh, reelected two years ago. But listen, West Virginia is a conservative state. Now, I know West Virginia is fairly close to D.C., and there's probably people that actually work in D.C. that commute from West Virginia. But overall, West Virginia is a conservative state. And, uh, you know, whether or not Joe Manchin is, I, I, I don't know how you can call yourself a moderate and continue to be a Democrat. I just don't. I mean, it's an oxymoron. But uh, Manchin... Talks a good talk. We'll see what he does. Now, he is saying, you know, no carbon tax is going to be in uh, this $3.5 trillion, and it can't be $3.5 trillion. It's got to come back to $1.75 trillion, which is a joke because basically they're just saying they're not changing the policy. They're just shortening how long they'll pay for the policy. It'll still have all the elements in the policy. We'll see. Keep an eye on it. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. Now, this is a surprise. He condemned any move to undermine a country's democracy by packing courts for political gains and jeopardizing judicial independence, an issue driving debate among U.S. lawmakers. During a speech yesterday in Ecuador, Blinken uh, highlighted telltale signs of moves to undermine 
a democratic society. Quote, consider a country where a leader is elected in a free and fair election (coughs) and then sets about chipping away slowly but surely the pillars of democracy, attacking the free press, undermining the independence of the courts, threatening political opponents. Now imagine that leader then seeks to use the levers of democracy to pass anti-democratic reforms, eliminating term limits, packing courts, firing legislatures. I hate to say it, but uh, Blinken, you sort of sound like you're describing Joe Joe Biden here and what's going on in D.C., uh, what your boss is doing. But uh, one of two things is going to happen. Anthony Blinken is either going to backtrack these statements or he's going to get canned. We'll see. Hey, we've got to take another time out. Stay with us. More news and views right after this. News and views. He's kind of a diva. He's absolutely fascinating. Ultimate gentleman spy. Irresistible to women, deadly to his enemies, a legend in his own time. You won't believe what he's going to say next on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Here's Tom Lemprecht. So in Portland, they're up there burning down the city again. And uh, you, you got to ask what the thinking is. Why would anybody stay in Portland? I mean, 90 straight days of unrest last year as they burned down parts of the city. Last night, a crowd of 100 people wreaked havoc in downtown Portland again, again smashing storefronts, again lighting dumpsters, causing at least a half million dollars in damage. Uh, police officers didn't show up. They didn't stop them. Why would they? I mean, why would they? And um, Guy Benson said, so this is a normal day in Portland. Someone else asked, okay, so the social workers didn't show up? I mean, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted, right? The social workers, let's have them show up. Murders have increased 16% across major U.S. cities. This from the Council on Criminal Justice. The Council report found a 30% surge in murders in major U.S. cities. A 16% for the first half of 2021. Gun assaults up 5%. Aggravated assaults up 9%. Why would you... I mean, here in eastern North Carolina, we ought to be very happy we have a nice rural area, some beautiful towns, but I'm very pleased that I am not in a major metropolitan area. Uh, you, you just you just don't have this nonsense going on. I mean, if you remember when the riots were happening last year, they tried to bust in a bunch of people in Greenville, and they put out their pallets of bricks, and they broke a few windows and doors, but they didn't put up with it. And they quickly realized that, no, you, there's, there's no interest here. You're not going to stir up the crowd. We're not going to go burn down our city. And uh, kudos to uh, the authorities in Greenville when that happened because they handled it very well. But when you basically defund the police, you outlaw, and this is what they did in Portland, they outlawed the use of things like pepper spray and rubber bullets. And you don't use those kind of things to 
do permanent damage on people. You use those kind of things to break up riots. But no, you can't do that in Portland. You know what? You you vote for these idiots, and uh, you continue to put them into office. I, it's hard to feel sorry for you. You put them into office, they burn down. You know, they they put in uh, procedures in which your city is burned down. Nancy Pelosi and other House Democrats. They're trying to frame Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda as a moral obligation at an interfaith event on Capitol Hill today. Have you ever noticed these interfaith events usually mean no faith at all? <laughs> I mean, anything goes. I mean, you know, you could, you know, you could worship a stepladder and, they, oh, well, let's make that person the main speaker of our event. Pelosi, flanked by members of Congress and faith community leaders, said provisions in the $3.5 trillion reconciliation spending bill that address climate children and families. Oh, the children. We've got to always mention the children. That way you'll feel bad and you'll vote for it. <laughs> yeah. We have a moral obligation to our children to pass the plan in a responsible way, Pelosi said. Uh, Representative Rosa DeLora, a pro-abortion Democrat, and this is unbelievable. I mean, these pro-abortionists, get up there and brag about their Catholic faith. She wants to promote the common good. She said the government has a moral purpose and moral responsibility to provide for that common good. She said, I have long believed that our role as legislatures is to advance, are you ready for this? The respect for life and dignity for every human being. Um, <laughs> And, and yet she'd be the first in line to talk about how we need to have abortion anytime, anywhere, for any reason, and the American taxpayer ought to pay for it. But she comes out and says, I'm a good Catholic. I respect every form of life, unless it's a baby in the womb, and then uh, it's a uh, time to take the life away. Hey, thanks for being with us. Uh, we'll do it again tomorrow. We'll play a little political trivia. Have a good night. We'll see you at 5 tomorrow. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right, all right.